Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Lone War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers the complex and growing landscape of the global jihad, or what we call the long war. Today, I'm going to do things a little bit differently. I'm going to fly solo today. That'll be the first time. So there'll be no guest or no co-host. Also, I'm going to take this podcast in a little bit different direction than normal. Of course, we uh, always cover issues in, in the global jihad, but today we are going to discuss uh, Ukraine and Russia's invasion of the country. There is a link, um, and I'll get into that with the jihad. Um, and while this isn't the area of my main area of focus, I do follow it closely on the side. Um, one of the things I enjoy doing is tracking military ops, um, military, uh, operations. I've, as a kid, I've read just about every book on World War II and other, uh, Alexander the Great and other conflicts. So I consider myself a sort of a self-taught historian and I'm fascinated by military operations. I think this is one of the things that, you know, we had, why I had the success that, um, Tom and I had the success that we did last summer tracking the Taliban is because that's something we, we track those operations from the very beginning. Um, so to to begin first i unfortunately i have to make this this disclaimer this is insane that i have to say this but in in this world today which is highly polarized hyperpartisan and insanely political um if you say something that's contrary to the popular opinion and gives people the impression you may support the wrong side you're going to be canceled or lambasted um, so here we go. Uh, it's again, I'm, I'm laughing that I have to say this, but I am. I support the people of Ukraine and Vladimir Putin's invasion of the Ukraine is both illegal and immoral. Um, that, you know, again, it's ridiculous, but let me be very clear upfront about that. Um, that being said, what you're going to hear from me is the minority report on what's happening in the, in the war in Ukraine. Uh, if you listen to the press, you would think that the Ukrainians are defeating the Russians on every battlefield. The Russians are demoralized. They can't conduct operations. And yet what we see is this, this grinding operation from the Russians that continues to take territory. I have been, um, writing about this, albeit on Twitter. Um, you could follow me at, at Bill Raggio. That's at B I L L R O G G I O. Um, also I wrote an article, uh, about this subject at the Daily Mail. Um, that's, that's fun because the Daily Mail always slaps on a long and interesting and quite loud title, which I support. Uh, it's, uh, I, I actually like reading Daily Mail. You get some interesting information there. Um, but yeah, if you, if you go to Daily Mail and search my name, you can read my analysis. A lot of what we're going to discuss today is, uh, is based on that article. For those of you who have listened to Tom and me on this podcast over the last year plus, um, you'll know that we call it like we see it. Um, this is how we got Afghanistan right when just about everyone else got it wrong. Um, so just because I'm here to tell you that the Russians at the moment are executing their battle plan and have the upper hand in Ukraine, I just want to reiterate that doesn't mean I'm pro-Russian or pro-Russian military operation, and I'm certainly not a lover of Vladimir Putin. Again, he's, he's a war criminal. This is, um, his act history should judge him as, as, as an evil person. And, but 
because I'm here to going to tell you some things that you haven't heard on the, the, the this regular media. Again, that doesn't mean I support his cause. Um, sadly, our national security establishment is high on what a good friend of mine calls hopium. This is uh, the drug of hope. The national security establishment, and I'm seeing this in the press and a lot of people on social media, they're hoping that the Russians fail. They're hoping that the Ukrainians can succeed. They're hoping the Ukrainians can drive the Russians out of the country, that the, the Russian offensive stalls and breaks down. And therefore, everything you're reading out there and seeing out there is, is it's tainted and it's highly optimistic assessments. I'll, I'll give you more, more on that in a little bit. Uh, so to paraphrase the great not yet canceled Dave Chappelle, thank goodness, hopium is one hell of a drug. Um, one of my favorite clips. So. If you think you've seen this movie before, you have, and you saw it quite recently. Uh, it was, it began in last spring. Um, but really it was a 20 year long running soap opera that I call as Afghanistan burned. The ending of that was explosive. Um, as we watched that, we saw a very similar dynamic in effect. Um, here was the narrative back then. Um, before the Taliban and during the Taliban offensive, the Taliban was disjointed. There's Taliban weren't unified. There were seven Taliban. The Taliban didn't have a plan to, to control territory. They couldn't, the Taliban couldn't government. It couldn't resupply its fighters. Its fighters were demoralized by years of, uh, of fighting. The Afghan military was well trained and prepared to defend its country when the United States and NATO and allied troops left. I mean, that felt all felt really good up until the point when the Taliban began to take over provinces and then the country fell to the Taliban and its Al Qaeda allies. Today, some of the same organizations and individuals who made those out of touch and flat out wrong assessments of Afghanistan are making very similar claims about Russians invasion of Ukraine. We're hearing things like the Russians had no military plan to take territory in Ukraine after its initial assault to take the an airport just north of Kiev failed. Um, and then because that assault, initial assault failed, the Russians had to cobble together an offensive after, afterward. I've debunked this nonsense both on Twitter and at the Daily Mail article. But a map from the New York Times and other maps I've seen, one from James that is even more pessimistic from the New York Times map, sh shows the exact opposite. There is a planned offensive. It's occurring on five fronts, and it was launched on the opening day, the same day that Putin attempted to take Kiev. Um, we're told that Putin failed, that the Russian offensive failed because the Russian military failed to take Kiev on, by the second day of the war. That's absolute madness. Um, people, what, what I'm seeing analysts and um, Russian analysts and military analysts are saying is that Putin put all his eggs in the basket of decapitating the Ukrainian government. And that since that failed, he had to cobble together a plan and launch a ground invasion. Now, those of us who are old enough who remember the shock and awe campaign in, uh, in Iraq in 2003, that was an attempt to de decapitate the, uh, uh, the Iraqi government to kill Saddam Hussein and his uh, his cadre of, of, of cronies. 
That didn't happen. But the U.S. had also had a plan. It launched its invasion within 24 hours of the beginning of the shock and awe campaign. People were telling, you know, the U.S. military took three weeks. It took the U.S. military three weeks to take Baghdad. Now, granted, the distances are longer. Um, it's about 90 miles from the border of, uh, of Belarus, where the, the bulk of the operation was launched to Kiev, where it's about, I think it's around, I want to say around 300 miles or so from the Saudi border to Baghdad. So even if you multiplied that, if you took, made that three times or more uh, longer, you wouldn't expect the Russians to be at Kiev until oh, about 15 days, let's say. Instead, they made it, they made it to 20 miles of Kiev in four days. It's not bad considering how hard the Ukrainians have fought. In, in the South, in Crimea, they advanced 160 miles to a key city. Um, and they did that in six days. They've done it to two other cities on, on different axes. They've, again, this attack is occurring on four, um, on five fronts. Um, in some areas like the city of Kharkiv, which is the second largest city with 1.5 million people, um, the Russians have, have basically surrounded the city and they're launching a siege. It's close to the border. But I'd expect that type of resistance from the Ukrainians to defend a large city, the second largest city in the country. Another thing, we're being told that the Russians are indiscriminately shelling uh, Ukrainian cities. And yet there's very little evidence of that. We have seen images of, of civilian buildings um, being struck. Uh, I don't deny that's happening. And it is happening. But to say that this is a concerted effort by the Russians is a complete misunderstanding of the situation. As of yesterday, the United Nations reported that oh, 136 civilian casualties after six days of war. And this is occurring on multiple fronts. You could triple, quadruple that number of civilian casualties, and it would still be far too low for an indiscriminate assault on civilians. The one thing the Russians have and are and know how to use and are good at using is artillery. If the Russians wanted to punish the Ukrainians and kill Ukrainian cities, they can unleash, they would be drawing their artillery up to the city limits and unleashing artillery and rocket barrages on these cities. We would see scores, if not hundreds of deaths daily, maybe even thousands. Um, we would be seeing video of these rolling artillery barrages. We would be seeing videos of blocks and blocks upon blocks of, of dish buildings leveled. Um, we're not. And look, the one thing the Ukrainians are doing right now is they may be losing the war on the ground, but they're winning the information war. So how, you know, you can be, you can rest assured that the Ukrainians would be showing us those images, uh, and talking and talking about thousands upon thousands of dead civilians if this was actually happening. Now, this doesn't mean that Putin's a good guy, um, that he isn't a war criminal and he won't execute these attacks. Uh, he won't escalate the attacks on civilians in the future. Um, I have no doubt that Putin will do this if he thinks it's in his best interest to do this. But the fact is that what we are currently seeing isn't an all out assault on the civilian population. That is just not happening. It may come to that if these cities don't surrender, if this war goes on too long. But right now, what we're seeing is either strikes that are against targets. For instance, one of the targets in Kiev was a uh, radio or a television antenna that was broadcasting Ukrainian 
um, national television and other local television broadcasts. That's not saying that's a legitimate target, but it's a target that the Russians wanted to hit. People were killed in, um, in collateral damage on that strike. Some of these strikes are very likely errant. The Russians aren't as precise in their fires as the U.S. and other Western militaries are. Um, another thing we're hearing uh, is that Russian troops are demoralized. And apparently this is based on some interrogations of captured Russians and text messages and um, other sources, some of which I find to be dubious. Perhaps this is so. I have no doubt that the Russians don't treat their soldiers like professional soldiers as we do here in the United States. Um, but this is where I go back to, um, uh, a comparison with Afghanistan. Yeah. You look, I can go back to 2005 and show you press reports of a tired and demoralized Taliban, Taliban fighters saying they fought too long, that they want the fighting to stop. They're tired. They just want peace. And 17 years after that, uh, sorry, 16 years after that, the Taliban were so tired that they took control of Afghanistan. Sure, I, I have no doubt that individual Russian soldiers, just as individual uh, Taliban fighters, are feel like they're in the dark, that they didn't want to fight this war and things of that nature. But the fact is, what I see is the Russian military advancing on multiple fronts. It is still happening. So whatever problems the Russians are having with morale, it isn't stopping them from achieving their objectives so far, this far, one, almost one week into the operation. And look, you're seeing a lot of, of talk about the Russians having logistical issues. I will not dispute that. Um, and also reports of them taking high casualties. I've yet to see reliable estimates of casualties on either side. I saw something today where the Russians claimed about 500 soldiers killed and 1,500 wounded. That sounds about right. You can double those numbers. That sounds about right. We're talking about mechanized warfare here. Um, I, so that's on the casualties. On the logistical issues, I absolutely expect that. The Russians, um, are, you know, their doctrine is based on a Soviet system. Um, logistics training and um leadership from from officers and senior ncos isn't a key focus um of the of the but the again these problems that the russians are experiencing is not stopping them from advancing up until this point maybe this will be, become an issue i suspect it won't um uh, a, a friend of mine who's known as Commander Salamander, he's a, he's a naval officer. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. He also has a Substack page. He wrote an excellent article, and I'm, I'm going to quote from that. He says, as Russians do, they make up for the lack of inattention to detail with simple mass, end quote. I could not agree more with that. The Russians have a brute force um style of warfare. Okay, something doesn't work. We'll just throw more men, material, and weapons systems into it. They expect to take high casualties. They expect to take, to lose large amounts of equipment in, in the conflict. To, just because the, are the Russians more or less risk averse than we are? I suspect the Russian leadership, the Russian command isn't concerned about taking casualties as we are here in the United States or in the West. Uh, one other issue. Um, we're hearing that Vladimir Putin is crazy. He's insane. He's deranged. You know, this is, uh, 
this is the work of armchair, armchair psychoanalysts. Um, this has become, uh, this type of, uh, diagnosing from afar has become vogue in American domestic politics. And now we're seeing the same people trying to ply this so-called craft across an ocean and a continent to diagnose Vladimir Putin. You know, when I look at what he's done, I, I see the, I see someone who has made it calc, who's calculated, who has made decisions based on what he's witnessed. Um, he learned that he paid little consequence for what he did in um, balkanizing the, the nation of Georgia in 2008, that he paid no price for annexing Crimea in 2014. Um, he saw the divisions in NATO. He's, he's made a calculation that this will work. He may have miscalculated. Um, and we're going to find out over the next several weeks and months. We're going to see how this plays off, plays out. I certainly hope he did. Um, but what I'm seeing right now, NATO is not entering the war. Um, you know, NATO is countries are sending some weapons systems, but they just denied sending 70 fighter planes to, um, into the Ukrainian air force so they could be used. So how long can things like sanctions work? How long can people, uh, can, can the West keep Russian banks off of Swift? Will there, will they cave or will they maintain cohesion? Uh, again, I'm going to uh, quote my friend, uh, Commander Salamander. He's, here's what he says, quote, there are no off ramps for Putin. As long as he is in power, he will do what he needs to do to achieve his end state. I can, I cannot agree anymore. He has committed to this fight and he's going to do what is necessary to win or, you know, he's, he's put all his cards on the table here and he's, uh, he's going for it. Look, certainly the Russians are, aren't invincible here. The outcome of this war is still undecided and many factors can change the outcome of this war. Um, what happens, you know, per, perhaps the Ukrainians stiffen up and stop these advances. The Ukrainians certainly are putting up a valiant fight and they're fighting, um, a lot harder than I think many people expected. Um, I am impressed with their will to stand up to the Russians. Um, but they are gradually losing ground. The Ukrainians are fighting for their country and they're fighting on their, their home turf. Uh, but the Russians surround Ukraine from three sides. They have far more troops. They have more armor. They have more aircraft. They have command of, of the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov. Um, they were able to actually execute an, an amphibious assault. Yes, it was miles from the city, but the fact that they can move troops around in that way. Um, is, is, it's, it's a plus in their column. Putin has gone all in on this war and there's no turning back for him. Uh, finally, I'm going to comment really quickly on the issue of a U.S. and NATO imposing a no-fly zone over the Ukraine. Um, this is absolute madness. And, and for, fortunately, the Biden administration, um, has indicated that it wants no parts in this. Uh, I really, uh, probably preaching to the choir here to this audience. Um, I think most of you know what the implications of, of a no-fly zone could mean. Um, but I'll, st I'll stay it here. It would direct, directly pit the U.S. against Russia. Uh, it's certainly one thing to send support to spend anti-tank missiles and anti-aircraft missiles and ammunition and even warplanes for Russian pi or for Ukrainian pilots to fly. 
But it's another thing when you, if a U.S. aircraft shoot down Russian aircraft and U.S. aircraft begin start, um, begin to target Russian surface to air missile launchers, radars, and other things that would need to be targeted in order to enforce a no fly zone. Uh, if you want to risk widening the war and up the risk for a potential nuclear exchange, just keep advocating for a no fly zone. This is, this is not, you know, I know the Ukrainians want this, but this is certainly not in the best interests of the United States or, or Europe. This is the potential to inflame this war, to take it to the next level. Um, if you want that to happen, impose a no fly zone. And, and one other point on the no fly zone here. If the Ukrainians were doing so well, if what we're hearing, why does a no fly zone need to be enforced? Um, I'll just leave that question out there for you to answer because I think you all know it. And now this all takes us back to Afghanistan. Tom Jocelyn and I warned years ago that what happens in Afghanistan doesn't stay in Afghanistan. When we were talking about that, we were talking about not just the Taliban's relationship with jihadist groups, including Al-Qaeda, Safe Haven, things of that nature, the stuff that was focused on the on the war on terror. But we were talking about things like what, you know, how things like bad analysis is perpetuated, um, uh, overly optimistic uh, Pollyannish assessments that come out from the Department of Defense and intelligence community and, and both from the Bush, the Obama, the Trump and the Biden administrations across four administrations, we were told we were winning in Afghanistan and the Afghan military was capable and things of that. And this is another problem that, um, occur that stems from Afghanistan. The, the inability to understand our enemy and his goals, objectives and strategy. We didn't know who the Taliban were, what their goals were. You had U.S. advisors and generals who, who were shocked that the Taliban had, um, was religiously motivated. Um, we didn't understand that, um, when I say we, I'm referring to the, the senior levels of the U.S. government. I know that those of you, most of you listen who are in Department of Defense and CIA and the military, um, you know, it is at state. Um, I, I speak to a, a, a many of you, um, and I know you get it, but you know, the leadership, those who are making decisions, they just didn't understand that the Taliban were religiously motivated. They didn't understand that the Taliban wanted to retake the Afghanistan and impose the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. They didn't understand what the, tra- the Taliban's counterinsur, or, um, insurgency strategy was. And because we didn't understand these things, we over, we thought that we could negotiate with the Taliban. We thought that we could use our diplomatic power to thwart an enemy that was always determined to take what he wants by force. I'm seeing these exact same problems that existed in Afghanistan existed today. Just look at the lead up to this war, the attempts by NATO to, to, um, to get Putin to not invade. He was going to do this. Now I'm going to be very clear. I'm not sitting here and saying the U S should have put, um, you know, should have threatened Russia with military force. But when president Biden said he wouldn't, um, get involved in Ukraine, he sent a green light to Putin. He said that NATO would not, you know, you always leave questions like this hanging. But again, these are all of 
all of the wrong lessons that were learned in Afga- in Afghanistan by senior leadership and in, in uh, political, military intelligence. Um, those lessons, uh, to, when I look at this, I see these same mistakes being uh, translated to the Ukraine. And look, I hope I am wrong, as I hoped I was wrong last summer with respect to the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. And in fact, uh, years prior to that, I was hoping I was wrong in my analysis of the Taliban strategy. It was clear that the Taliban had a plan. It was clear that the U.S. was negotiating with the Taliban while the Taliban was negotiating in bad faith and that we didn't understand or didn't want to understand what the Taliban's objectives were. Um, I hope the Ukrainians can withstand the onslaught. I hope that Putin and the Russians are defeated in Ukraine. I hope the Ukrainian people can beat the long odds and, and win and drive out the Russians. Um, but I refuse to get hooked on the hopium to solve the painful reality of what is happening in the Ukraine. Thanks, everyone, for joining me for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you could find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive review. Thanks again, and we'll see you all soon.